Moncrief on News Talk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cent. You can follow us on Twitter or send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com. It is indeed time for parenting. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon, Sean. Here's your first question. Uh, About six uh, months ago, my five and a half year old son started junior infant. Since then, his mood has been melancholy. He said he's been worrying about what seemed to us was a very minor issue in school to do with putting away the Play-Doh. We sorted this out with the teacher and this worry went away. This kind of worry, though, happens on a regular basis about varying topics, from fearing he might throw his bike into the sea or pond or that he might kick his teddy bear off the pier. At least one of these scenarios he saw in a cartoon. The situation appears very much like intrusive thoughts, with a compulsion to think about them, which occurs nightly in bed for about half an hour before he finally gets to sleep. He's also developed new behaviours, biting his fingernails and toenails, gnawing the skin around his nails. He's now begun what seems to be a compulsion to wipe his mouth repeatedly, to a degree that he has red marks around his mouth, sometimes as often as once every 20 seconds, because he thinks he has dirt in his mouth. He's always been highly strung. We talk to him regularly about his worries, but we're not sure what to do from here, as this is not going away and seems to be getting worse. Oh, my goodness, the poor little thing. And you can just feel how stressful that is as a parent to see your little guy having those struggles and to feel I don't know how to help him. I don't know how to fix this for him. And largely because you can't fix it for him. This is about taking a step back and looking at how can we help him to fix it with him? Because he has to be part of that because otherwise and it's a bit like, you know, it started with the Play-Doh and then it becomes the bike and then it becomes kicking the teddy, you know, that it's a bit like playing symptom one. Whack-a-mole. You know, you feel like mm. I've addressed the Play-Doh, but now it's the bike and I'll address the bike and now it's something else. Because really, it's not the overt behavior that you're looking for. It's what's underpinning it. So we're going to get curious about what is the emotional, physical state, but seriously, the emotional state that's underpinning this. He does sound like a deep feeling little guy, a more emotionally sensitive child, perhaps. There's nothing absolutely nothing wrong with being emotionally sensitive. I always think we could do it a few more emotionally sensitive people scattered around the right career choices and we'd all benefit from it. But it is really difficult, Sean, to be a child, especially a child this age who's emotionally sensitive, because you can just feel like you're soaking up so much emotional resonance, which at the moment is a collective stress because of the the year we've all been living through. So there's a lot of stress out there. And if he's soaking that up, he can't make meaning of it. He can't make sense of it. He can't process it. So it's finding its way out in these overt behaviors that you're spotting. So all of that said, I, I would like him to be seen because I think that's going on quite a while, you know, six months. We have to always put this as a percentage of his life. And it's going on for quite a while. So being really aware of the long waiting list, and I really do mean this in terms of the public system, as well as the private system, you know, child and adolescent psychotherapists, play therapists, everybody has really long waiting lists at the moment, largely because of the heightened demand for such services. So Mm -hmm. I would encourage you to explore that. You can either do so through your GP. Um, Many schools have access to somebody that they recommend or that they can support through the school. And if not, that you go down a private route, but be prepared for a wait. Okay, so while you're waiting, I think there are some practical, playful things that you can do at home. There's a there's many books. I mean, there's always books about stuff like this. But one that came to mind for me, because 
I like a book that you can then draw out into a practical activity as well. So you might read a book like The Big Bag of Worries. It's it's out a long, long time and just read it with them. The idea is there's this child and they have a couple of worries and then they get bigger and they fill a little bag with the worries and the bag gets bigger and heavier and they have to lug it around everywhere and it's getting in the way. And the, the solution turns out that if they open the bag and take out the worries with a safe, trusted adult, that they realize some of the worries aren't theirs. They belong to other people. The worries that are theirs can be worked out and resolved. And some of them are everyday worries that everybody has. And it can normalize some degree of worry, which is also important for children. But once you've read it a couple of times and, you know, talked to him about what he liked about it, you can also get him to draw a picture of his worries. You could get a little bag, like honestly, something like a pillowcase is fine. And you could get um, like an egg carton and cut out the little rounds of the egg carton and get some pipe cleaners and little bits like that. And you'll see when you read the book, you'll see what I mean. That's kind of what the worries look like are these little creatures. Make some worries, get him to name them, talk about them. He can put them in his bag, take them out one at a time to do that. And then you could kind of stamp on them, break them down and get rid of them as you resolve them one by one. So you're giving him a really kind of practical way to make meaning of worries and to see what their what function they have for him. I would also increase the sensory play, of course, because any time that you've got these, especially these more ruminating as you're describing them, intrusive thoughts, compulsion to think about them, that's a very busy little head. And to get him out of his busy head, you're going to increase sensory, messy, tactile play because it's a great way to bring him down into the now moments. You're also going to increase, no matter what level it's currently at, increase his outdoor play because it gets him outdoors, changing the field of vision and physically moving. So you get more rhythm and synchrony, which helps to co-regulate those subsystems of the brain that need regulation. And you're also going to do lots of wondering when he does hit you with these these worries, these problems, get curious about them. Be very cautious about jumping in too quick to a solution and say, it won't happen. Don't worry, I'll stop you. I won't let it happen. And instead, bear witness to the worry with him and say, OK, I wonder what that feels like and what shape would your worry be and what color is it and what weight is it? What texture is it? Where does it live in your body? Oh, now I have a really good picture of what that feels like for you. I wonder what we can do to get rid of that worry. What could we do to help find your happy, relaxed part? And you're introducing the idea that he is a child who has worries rather than being the worried child in your family, Mm -hmm. because we don't want him to identify as being the worried one, because otherwise he'll keep worrying to be that role. So helping him understand that he's made up of lots of parts and that there are ways that you can help him find those happy parts, excited parts, playful parts, any parts you need, um, using that curiosity of wondering is going to be really, really helpful. Always asking him to tell you the story of the worry. So bringing in some of that narrative, projective, playful piece as well, which is very developmentally appropriate for his age. And I think those are things that you can consistently do at home that could have therapeutic impact without you being a therapist. But alongside that, I would like him on a waiting list because these are big worries for a little guy. Mm. And just to help him develop a system himself going forward that he can manage worries, that he can learn how to gain mastery over those tension rousing experiences, you know, that life is going to throw his way and that he doesn't feel it so deeply moving forward. Oh, the poor little fella. Now, and, and you know, every now and again, you, you do say in response to a question that, you know, to uh, uh, see, uh, refer them on yeah. to someone and in the public system at the best of times is always a yes. waiting list. If you go private, can you, can you, if you go private, can you get that on health insurance, do you know? 
So uh, that's a really good question. So sometimes yes, sometimes no. Yeah, <laughs> so it that's... depends on your insurance cover, as doesn't it always. But it's great to call up and again, be curious with your insurance provider and use a hypothetical. You know, if I was to go see a child counselor, child therapist, play therapist, give a few jargon words, am I covered? Many insurance policies, again, depending on your cover, will say, yeah, you're covered for six or nine sessions, or you're covered for whatever it is for adults or children, you may have cover for both. So it's always worth doing that. And all you have to do then is get receipts from your private provider and put those in through your insurance. Tara says uh, on this uh, on the subject of this question, my daughter has developed a similar tendency to over worry. It's strangely developed after our car broke down a few months mm. ago. I explained to her the reasons why cars can break down, but she now obsesses about us not having enough petrol in the car or the possibility that strangers are spying and many other seemingly innocuous things. It's very strange because she seems so happy otherwise. Uh, another texter says perhaps this child was traumatised by being given out to by his teacher as a child I was given out to by my teacher for misbehaving. Uh, and although it was nothing serious, I ended up by wetting my bed for months mm. after that. Sensitive children can be rattled yep. by confrontation. And uh, another texter says, your listener referring to their six-year-old son uh, with what appears to be intrusive thoughts. My son, 14, is and was the same. He has OCD. It is scary as they get older. That is, if not caught and treated early, speaking from experience, I'm not a quack, just a concerned dad. Well, Mm. no doubt uh, about that. But, you know, as there were varying experiences of that, of course. and. I suppose that in this particular case, I'll have to uh, wait until they uh, see someone to find out uh, what the situation exactly is. Anyway, I have a four-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. My daughter loves to copy what my son is doing and wearing. She has a fit if she can't wear the exact same clothes as him, carry the same lunchbox, etc. I've had to cut her hair to be similar to his. I'm wondering if I should allow this behaviour to continue and if this is an expression of gender or whether it's just tantrum throwing. Oh, it's so interesting because if you weren't to allow this behavior to continue, I'd love to see how how you could stop it because, you know, four-year-olds can be very, very willful and very certain about these things. And it's also something at this stage that, you know, they, they want to make choices for themselves. I'll choose what I wear. I'll choose, uh, you know, my lunchbox and what I do. And they love that. But at the same time as wanting it, they can also doubt their own choices. So we often see um, at this age group, this kind of preschool age of four, that they want to please and be like other children, their Mm. peers, for example, and in this case, a sibling. Um, So it's actually a normal part of preschool age development. And at the moment, your five year old and don't forget for the year that's gone ahead, he has been central to her social world. Like he has been her peer and sibling. He's been the other child in her life. I think this is likely to change when she moves into school. She has a broader social network, more influences, more things to try out and emulate and copy and mirror. I think that that's something that you will see. But I also think, you know, our children's worlds got really small during the pandemic. And so we have seen this intensity in sibling relationship and children learn through mirroring copying at this age. That is actually how they learn about themselves. I'd suspect she really likes his energy. She likes how he plays. And moreover, because of the egocentrism of this stage of development, she likes how she feels when she's around him. She likes the fun she's having. So she wants to be like him. And that doesn't mean she wants to be him. 
You know, they're different mm. things. Yeah. So I wouldn't look at this through a gender lens. I don't think you've anything there to, you know, infer that you've a gender question or moreover that your daughter has a gender question. Um, but, you know, just to emphasize children at this age are more aware of gender. Typically, we see that they become aware of gender differences and gender similarities, and they use that in their play in terms of the roles they do want to adopt in play. I'll be the mom, you have to be the whatever. And they can do that. So one of the things you could do in a practical, playful way is to involve because, you know, they're within the same developmental age bracket, you know, so you're going to have this as they grow up. You can involve them both in some, you know, playful role play in a way that enables them to play with identity. You know, this time, let's switch roles. You be this and I'll be that. And let's try out another way of doing it, that you can do that in a way that just invites, you know, identity exploration and expression, not with any kind of agenda in mind, because actually children love to play like that and they benefit from playing like that. That's how they develop that deeper sense of self and other. You know, I know who I am, but moreover, I know who I am in relation to people outside of me and within the world around me. That whole sense of self is still active and ongoing at this stage. And I think that's what you're seeing here. I don't think it's any more than that. So I'd go with it. I'm with a four-year-old and indeed a five-year-old. Pick your battles. Like if all she wants to do is wear the same clothes as him and that's doable, do that. I wouldn't make that an argument. Yeah. Also, I mean, it's probably a bit peripheral to this, but certainly in my experience, lunchboxes are extremely, there's a period, they all go through a a lunchbox period where it's the most important thing on earth. Uh, And they also have this kind of insatiable tracing the dragon hunger for lunchboxes as well, uh, in that there's always, they always feel like there's a better one over the horizon uh, sort of thing. Uh, Right. Anyway, uh, I'm newly divorced and we're all trying to get used to the arrangement, but my kids, nine and 12, are finding it particularly hard. We were always very close as a family but they seem to think now that because they're going to be between two households that we don't love them as much anymore. I have a strained relationship with their dad but we are trying to do the best we can for the kids. Their dad has recently moved on as well which they have expressed frustration with. I want to make this an easier transition for them. What can I do? Whoa, series of big questions there. Oh, it's a lot in there isn't there and I think I'm, I'm inferring that you know when you say their dad has recently moved on I think that means relationally that he mm. may have a new relationship. So I just want that's the inference I'm making. It's not explicitly stated. So we could be wrong on that. But either way, what you're looking at is a newly divorced. We're all trying to get used to the arrangement and your children are nine and 12. They're in that pre-adolescent, you know, coming out of middle childhood into adolescent phase of development. The fact that the relationship with their dad is strained and I hear you're doing the best you can and that he may have a new relationship. That is an awful lot as adults, that's a lot, but it's certainly a lot for these children as well um, to cope with a lot of change in a relatively short period of time. And I just think in general, a breakup is difficult. You know, it's an emotionally challenging experience, something that's very hard for us adults to be able to reconcile with, you know, and especially to reconcile what may have gone on to lead up to the point. So trying to help our children to manage it is really complex. And I think it is okay to tell your children, particularly at nine and 12 years old, that the grown-ups are still working out all the details of this and that you don't have it nailed either. So it's okay to be a little uncertain and it's okay to feel frustrated because 
what I think is important is that you hold an emotional space for them to feel what they're feeling um, and to ensure they know that that's acceptable and that you will support them through it. Because children at this age, you know, they're, they're, you know their main question is going to be, how is this going to affect me and my life? And that's totally normal and understandable. And as the adults, we have to plan to address this before they even need to ask it. Um, holding that in mind, because again, it's the uncertain piece that you're going, that'd be great, Joanna, if I had all those answers. <laughs> Tell them if you don't have those answers, like say, look, I, that's a great question. And it's a question I have myself, but I'm not there yet. As soon as the adults work it out, I'm going to involve you in that and make sure you know as soon as we know and invite them to what do you think? Like, what do you how do you wish it could be? I'm not guaranteeing you that. That's why I'm framing it as a wish. Um, and let's see what we can do. But bear in mind, it is OK if they tantrum, if they strop out of the room, if they shout and cry, if you see behaviors that you think developmentally belong to much younger children, give them space to react and then be available for the comfort and repair afterwards. But, and it's a big but, Sean, you know, to be that emotionally available to your own children in what is undoubtedly a very difficult time for both parents in question as well. You really have to activate your own support network of friends and family around you. You know, what you don't need is all be they well-meaning, but you don't need well-meaning people who are there to tell you what to do, how to feel, mm. because you know that yourself. What you do need is people who are going to hold you up, support you, pour the requisite beverage of choice and listen and accept where you're at, you know, and you also you know, you need somebody that you can let rip with and say all the emotive things that you're trying so hard to conceal from your ex-partner in the greater good interests. Um, you know, someone who's going to accept and hold that space for you so that you can stay connected with the bigger process for your children. I think that's really, really important. And I don't say it lightly. So I really think take care of yourself in this, but just try to accept and empathize with how difficult this is for your kids so that you normalize what they're feeling, because it can be really dysregulating to go, I'm feeling these huge, big feelings and I wish I wasn't, but I don't know how to not feel them. That you actually say, of course you are. This is a big experience. So you have big feelings in response to it. I'm here to help you break those down into manageable pieces and we'll do it together. We're going to have some days that are good and some days that are bad, but we will work it out as we go. And I think that's going to and at nine and 12, they're well able to hear that and understand that. So I think that's the best approach with it. Mm. Now, I mean, the, the one specific thing she said was that because they're bouncing between two households, uh, yeah. they think we don't love them as much mm. anymore. And now, you know, for obvious reasons, the relationship might be strained uh, with their dad. But if they are trying to do the best for the kids, would a kind of a joint approach on this, even a just one sit down, the two of them with the kids to kind of reassure them, no, that, that like, you oh. know, we feel exactly the same about you. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, the ideal is that you can be together and deliver the same message in the same way, even if it takes a bit of rehearsal for you guys to get it. Mm. Because the reality is that, you know, you, you we tell our children in these situations that while our feelings for each other have changed, our love for them has not. And for you as parents and moreover co-parents, loving your children is the one thing you're always going to have in common with each other, no matter what else is going on. That's your shared space. So actually, if you can bring yourselves back to that shared space and everything you do is from that base of 
we both love our children as much as as the other. So that's the that's the kind of common language that you have. So having that as a shared starting point, as well as having it as a secure base to return to when other emotive things might take over is a really good way to ground ourselves and stay focused on the shared goal and on what matters most, which is about that. But don't assume your children know that you both love them. They may need to hear it and mm. hear it and hear it repeated because they're in a in the process of huge change. Their world has really changed a lot. Um, and the moving between houses is really difficult for kids. It's often the thing they talk about liking least about the separation. Yeah. And I, I suppose sometimes kids might just infer that they did something wrong, that they caused this. Of somehow. course. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, when you don't understand what went on and in an adult situation like a relation relationship breakdown, it's not appropriate for children to know everything. What they do need to know is that it was between the adults and didn't have anything to do with them because in a bid to make sense of it, they'll personalize it. Because if I can't understand why you did it, it's easier for me to blame myself. Not pleasant, but easier. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Uh, we have to take a break after that. A five-year-old with uh, difficulties around communication. 53106 is our text number that will cost you uh, 30 cent. Uh, Joanna Fortune uh, is still with us. Uh, there was one question uh, about a little fella who tends to be worrying quite a lot. Dorothy says, I'm 50 now, but when I was small, I used to have a list of things that could happen to the farm animals and my family. I'd pray each night that those things would not happen. Murder, fire, drowning, etc. Animals, every disease imaginable. Thankfully, I grew out of it. But I found my niece did exactly the same thing when she was small. And uh, Barry says on the subject of uh, the, the couple who have just divorced and the children are having difficulty adjusting to that, he says it's such a difficult thing to handle. I think my parents did a really good job of working out, uh, of working together after they split up. And 30 years later, they have a good relationship as parents. But I didn't really feel like I'd adjusted to and dealt with the breakup until about five years ago. That's that's really interesting. I wonder how old you are uh, uh, now, Barry, and... Uh, well, that's so interesting. Uh, anyway, we'll move on to our next question. My five-year-old daughter struggles to communicate her needs a lot of the time. However, it's not a case of not having the words. She's usually talkative at home with us and her siblings, but often can't describe her emotions or what she needs and doesn't answer questions when we try to understand what has upset her. On occasion, she can get very upset and has difficulty calming down. Her minders in crash have also flagged that she often won't talk to them. We have tried practising a short story to tell them each day and I've also told her to try to remember who she sits beside for lunch to tell Mammy and Daddy when she gets home. I've tried doing role play based around crash, but uh, but uh, usually she just makes jokes or says silly things rather than properly engaging. I'm concerned with her starting school in September that she will have difficulty settling in and speaking to her teacher or classmates. I wonder if you can give any tips on on how I could what I could do to try and help her to have more confidence and Willington, willingness to speak up for herself. Here, Sean, I mean, first of all, uh, you know, a five, a just turned five year old as well, but a five year old who says silly things is engaging properly. That is how they engage. Silliness, playfulness, making jokes, that's their way of connecting. And she's not actually, so you're clearly doing a good job because she's not seeing your 
you know, structured agenda in the role play. She just thinks you're mm-hmm. playing. So she doesn't feel like she needs to give you something real because in play, it doesn't have to be real. So I think don't don't kind of over worry about that point. There's two questions in here. One is about a child who struggles to communicate her needs, can't describe her, you know, emotions, and they have to ask lots of questions to try and understand her, which she struggles to answer. And the second is about confidence and being able to speak up for herself. And in one way, you know, she's sounding a little bit like what we might call a self-holding child and some children tend towards these more self-holding strategies when they're dealing with emotions you know maybe complex or distressing experiences or just simply everyday experiences they're trying to make sense of self-holding is a term that Donald Winnicott, a child theorist, used to describe you know, patterns of behavior in children who choose to try to deal with their difficult feelings on their own rather than reaching out to others to help them. You know, it's it's just, it, again, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just the way that some children are. And in lots of ways, self-holding strategies can work well for many children, at least most of the time. But it can remain difficult for them to seek support, seek help from others, even when their own attempts to resolve the issue might have failed. So that's something that we might talk about. You know, it's not it's not as simple as saying, you know, a self-holding child is bottling feelings up because actually it doesn't often occur to them to share their feelings with anyone else. So just be aware that you might have a self-holding child on your hands who it's not that I'm not sharing with you. It's that I don't really know how to or quite see the point in doing that as yet. And there's ways that you can help her to do that. So, I mean, one of the things you can do is kind of enrich her emotional language at this stage through creativity. So take colored beads, you know, like those jewelry kits. I bet you loads of people have half packs of those because they seemed like such a good idea when you bought them. And then there were beads everywhere. So they tend to be, yeah. Still hoovering them up. Yeah. They tend to be lying around the house in like incomplete packages. So take those and group them into similar colored beads and then invite her to assign a feeling to each color, get some thin elastic and just thread them through. If they're very thin little bead holes, you'll have to get a plastic needle, but otherwise you can push the thread through. And she basically makes a feeling bracelet where she puts on if if there's lots of uh-oh feelings and uh-oh happens to be orange, for example, she puts on lots of orange beads or lots of yellow beads, depending on what the feeling is. Always bear in mind if you think that, you know, anger should be red, but your child says it's yellow accept their version of this if this isn't about you going oh but yellow is a happy color do you not want to make that red instead just let them choose but basically she can then see her feelings externalized and so can you you get a snapshot of oh look how much of this she's holding or look how much of that she's holding in a very playful creative way I think as well, instead of asking her to remember things about her day, you know, instead of giving it to her like a task, you know, try to remember who you sat beside and tell me that later. You know, she's not holding on to that at all. But when she gets home, ask her, what was the best bit of your day and what bit do you wish you could change? And it doesn't matter what she says when she gives you something and two bits of information a day. That's good. And as they grow up and grow older, if you can sustain that as a daily practice, getting two bits of information a day can be a lot to get, depending Mm. on the age they are. The other thing you could do is um, to find out bits about her day is because she's still only just five uh, is make it playful. So take her little foot and you're going to do a modified this little piggy. So instead of this little piggy goes to market, this little piggy stays at home, you're going to say this little piggy sat beside and you pause for her to finish it. This little piggy played whatever. And you give each little piggy a nugget of an incomplete sentence of what you'd like to know about your child that day. But it's done through the piggies rather than her feeling like, 
why are you interrogating me? I don't want to do this talking stuff. Just mm. let's play and have fun. Uh, it, the confidence way you want to model confidence and an open emotional expression yourself, you know, let her see you take on new tasks in an excited way. Say, oh, I've never done this before. I'm not sure how it's going to work out, but I'm excited to try it. Don't get upset about any mistakes that happen or any kind of you know, oopsies that happen in the house, but reframe them as a learning experience. Oh, I wish that hadn't happened. Next time I'm going to do it whatever way so that you extract the learning and highlight that in front of her. And I'd also at this stage be looking at helping her find something that she really loves to do, something she's passionate about and start helping her to access her desire and passion and interests. Hard now, that's been really hard over the pandemic because the kids haven't gotten to try out the old sports and the dancing and the swimming and music and whatever else we try to encourage them to become proficient in and mm. to see what they like. But hopefully that is changing soon, because I think that will also help her to build confidence within a space that she feels competent in because she really likes what she's doing. I think those approaches are going to be much more helpful than trying to tell her what to remember and then verbally asking her, because it's just not the way five-year-olds communicate. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, and, you know, have to uh, like I've a, I've a five year old, as you know, and, and she but she started school uh, um, last September. And for the first, well, when we were going to school, like other kids would go, hi, and know her name. And I go, who's that? I go, I'm the clue. Uh, uh, <laughs> like, and, but it took her like a few months to kind of cop it. Uh, and now she says hello to everybody. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it could be just one of those things. The penny hey, hasn't dropped either yet. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joanna, always a pleasure. Thanks a million. Thanks uh, so much. Once as ever, uh, Joanna Fortune there. And just to remind you, because, you know, we're still getting texts in from people saying, we're confused. What's going on? Uh, tomorrow, of course, it's So You Think You're an Adult. Barbara and Declan uh, will be uh, talking to us once again. If you have any questions for Barbara and Declan, afternoon at Newstalk.com is the address to send them to. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. We're going to take a break after that. Ancient gentrification. Moncrief on Newstalk.